Sominakshi, so glad to be here with you right now, about to have this conversation. I've been uh, privileged to communicate with you for some time now. Um, so really looking forward to it. I wanted to start by just asking if you can share a little bit about uh, your journey, your story. I know you live on Maui now, and you've had a, a long relationship with Integral Yoga and Gurudev. Uh, so can you take us through uh, a little bit of, of how you've gotten to be where you are now? Yes. Thank you, Avi. And thank you for hosting this very meaningful platform. And a loving welcome to all of our viewers from Maui. And yes, I'd be happy to share about my journey. I had the astronomical blessing of encountering Gurudev at the age of 16. And this is a long story, so I'm going to give you the uh, streamlined version. The streamlined version is I was uh, in the dance department at UC Berkeley, early admission through audition. And right when I passed from my apartment to the campus was the Integral Yoga Center of Berkeley. And um, I went in there, long story short, to take a yoga class. And I saw Gurudev's picture on the altar. And his eyes transmitted to me like headlights on a car, pure love and pure peace. It will bring me tears to uh, share this story, but I was so touched, so moved, so deeply by that transmission just from his picture that I knew immediately that whatever he had, I wanted. And when I took my first yoga class, which was super easy for me because I was in the dance department, so I could do all the yoga postures perfectly the first time. So the postures were super easy to me. But when I left, I glided out on a wave of peace. And I remember at the age of 16, writing home to my parents a letter that day. And this, again, will bring me to tears. Today, I found myself. And what I mean by that is I felt the deep peace of my own true nature. And I said, today, I came home, home to myself, home to the peace that is my own true nature. And so the entire journey from that moment onward, um, a very long story short, um, I um, studied there at the Integral Yoga Institute. So my first teachers were Swami Krunananda, who then was Parvati. And Jiva Khan was there, and Ramanan was there, and Swami Divyananda was there. And um, we had a wonderful time there. And then, uh, this is just such an amazing story, when I heard that Gurudev was going to be speaking in person at a symposium called Unity in Diversity on the campus of UC Davis in Sacramento, I went to that conference. And Gurudev was on the stage in person. And the first time I saw him walking across the stage, I was so awestruck. It was like seeing Jesus in person walking across the stage. I had never seen anyone that holy before. I was so deeply moved by his presence. Now, the format of this was that the people could ask questions and they wrote their questions on index cards and the various speakers would address those questions. So when it came time for Gurudev to respond to the questions that were posed to him, there was a beautiful Indian woman who was an eye surgeon traveling with Gurudev as his secretary at that time. And she walked over to him and she handed him his glasses. And I said to myself, she has got to be the holiest person in the world to be in a position to hand him his glasses. And then several years later, I had the amazing opportunity to hand Gurudev his glasses. <laughs> and I have to say that was the highlight of my incarnation. 
Um, so it's just been an amazing journey. I, after I studied the Integral Yoga Institute, a very short streamlined story, I moved to the woods in Northern California where I did yoga three hours a day. Then I integrated everything I learned there on a very deep level. Then I moved to Seattle and I was dancing in a small dance company called Dance Theater Seattle. And I was teaching dance at the Madrona Dance Center, which is a division of Seattle Parks and Recreation. I approached the administration there and I said, would you like to offer a yoga class? This is when I was 19 years old. And they said, we've never had yoga before, but they knew me because I was there um, teaching dance all the time and my classes were very popular. So they said, let's give it a try. My class was so popular, I had waiting lists. Then all the other departments of the Seattle Parks and Recreation wanted me to teach there. Then I started teaching at the University of Washington. There were waiting lists for my class. I was one of the first yoga teachers in this country. I was in the second yoga teacher training ever offered by Integral Yoga International in this country. And uh, so my classes took off. That was at age 19. And uh, then I hosted Gurudev visit to Seattle. Then I moved to Santa Barbara, where he had his winter residence called La Paz. I organized all of Gurudev's programs in Santa Barbara for 12 years. I had many, many personal one-to-one -one interactions with him during that time that were very sweet and endearing and enlightening. And he invited me to live in his personal residence as the caretaker of his home, where I lived for many years in his personal residence in the secretary's quarters. I oversaw the care of his home, of his dog, of his grounds, of his cars. I set up all his visits when he came. I welcomed him when he came. I sent him off when he left from his winter residence in Santa Barbara, La Paz. I did that for many years, which gave me a very um, great amazing blessing to be very close with him for uh, many years. I traveled to many places with him in the United States, throughout all the Hawaiian islands, and uh, also to India. So I had many sacred opportunities to be in his divine presence, to learn from him. And uh, that's the greatest blessing I've ever had in this incarnation, Avi. I'll just complete this little sharing by saying that if someone had said to me when I was born, I'm going to give you a boon, like a magic genie said, you can have anything you want in this incarnation. I could have not even fathomed any blessing as great as meeting Gurudev, as being close with him, and as having the opportunity to serve him as closely as I did for so many years. And when I say serve him, we have to put that in quotes because actually he was serving us by giving us the opportunity to be um, of service to him and to the greater vision of Yogaville and Lotus. Ah, wow. <laughs> Thanks so much for sharing all that. What a what a story. Um, you know, what I want to ask you now is, uh, you know, we're a few days away from Gurdev's Mahasamadhi, anniversary yes. of his of his passing, physical form. And uh, I'm curious, you know, your relationship with him was so deep when he was in the body. How has it changed since his passing? What is your relationship with him like? Has it been challenging? for you to not have uh, him in, in the physical form. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for asking. Um, I'm so honored that I was asked to give the tribute at Guru Purnima, which ended up being the last Guru Purnima tribute to Gurudev before he ascended. And I had a personal meeting with him before he left on that trip that he did not come back in his um, alive state. Um, I had a private audience with him right before that. And this leads into how perfectly I feel with my connection with him now. Um, because I served as the program coordinator in Santa Barbara, and I served as the director of Santa Barbara and the director of the Integral Yoga Center of Maui, whenever I got together with private audiences with Gurudev, I always had a list of questions. And then at the end of the list, I would ask my personal questions 
questions. And he was always so gracious in responding to all of my personal concerns. Um, on this particular time, and I didn't know it was going to be the last time I saw him in person, Avi. On this particular time, I went in with no list and no questions. And it was actually the anniversary. Many people might not know this, but Gurudev ordained many people as sannyasis. He ordained many people as reverends. He asked me if I wanted to be a Swami or a reverend. And I said, no, I did not resonate with those forms for various reasons. However, I did want to be ordained as an angel. And so Gurudev, in his infinite compassion and mercy, ordained Madhuri Honeyman and myself officially as angels. We had an initiation with him. He ordained us as angels. And so when I went in to that particular meeting, and I think it was uh, Vimalananda that was there, I walked in, she said, oh, this is the anniversary of your angel ordination. And I went in, and instead of having a long list of questions for Gurudev, I said, Gurudev, I want to cease with all the questions. I just want to ask you if I could give you a foot massage. That's all I wanted. And during my last meeting with him, and again, this will bring me to tears. I must have intuitively known. He must have intuitively known. And he had this uncanny ability to give every single person exactly what they needed. He had that city, spiritual occult power. He was like Krishna and the gopis. He could come to every person in the way and form that they needed to feel loved, honored, seen, cherished. And yes, and so he said, yes, of course, I could give him a foot massage. And my very last meeting with him was me touching his feet. And then he gave me some gifts and he gave me a picture of the newly renovated Lotus, which was his baby that he was so proud of. It had just gotten all the new pink towels on it renovated. And he gave me that picture in an envelope and he gave me some other gifts. And our whole time there was just love and affection, no questions, because at that point, it all had been transmitted through vibration. As Tesla said, everything is energy, vibration, and frequency. And how I learned from Gurudev now leading into answering your question, Avi, is that what he said, I listened to everything he said. At Shaktikam, they had something called Tape of the Month Club. I didn't get just the Tape of the Month Club. I got a copy of every single recorded talk that Gurudev gave. And I listened to it constantly. I listened to these cassette tapes while I was driving, while I was preparing food, while I was eating food. I could tell you verbatim what he would say on any topic. So I learned from him on that level. We'll say cognitive reasoning quite well. But how I really learned from him, Avi, was through vibration. He transmitted to me. We had many deep, profound experiences like that. And when I had the great privilege of being the caretaker of his personal residence in Santa Barbara, one of my duties as caretaker was to go into his personal bedroom and to water the plants when he was not there, which could have been six months at a time, and to light a stick of incense at the altar. So I was always wait till the end of the day until I had all of my duties completed because I knew once I went in there that I was going to be in a state of eternal peace and couldn't come back and function that well in the relative realm of reality. But anyway, uh, so when I would walk into his room to answer your question, even if he hadn't been there for six months, Avi, the room was so permeating with perfect peace that I would just walk in there and you can skip all those steps. Yama, niyama, asana, pranayama, pratyahara, dharana, diyama. You go straight to samadhi. 
I went into samadhi every single time I walked in his room because the receptor sites of mine were open. I was a purified instrument through the practices of yoga and through bhakti yoga, service to the guru. Whenever you provide service, it positions you for grace. And the grace that I got was I would sit down and light that stick of incense and I would go into states of eternal presence of divine love and bliss. And uh, he transmitted to me through vibration. So the vibration of peace, even if he wasn't present. So when you ask how it is when he was ascended, it is so much easier. When I, I want to tell all the people who haven't met him in person, you might be lamenting that. Do not lament that because you can get all of his teaching through his videos and through his transmissions and through his audios and books and all of that without having to do all the work. When I would prepare his home when he came, I'm a perfectionist. I would be working for days, months, getting everything absolutely perfect on every single level. When he would arrive, I would greet him and then I would leave and collapse like a Big Mac truck ran over me. So to answer your question, it is so much easier now that he's ascended because now I just have all the grace without all the work. (laughs) (sighs) Ah, wow. Mm. So you know, we speak of yoga, and it sounds like your introduction to yoga uh was more the physical practice as well. And that I think is, you know, many people's gateway. Uh, but it, it sounds like to me that your your understanding of yoga now is much larger, yama niyama. Um could you explain a little bit about how you would define yoga now, how you see yoga and your relationship to it? Yes. Well, integral yoga, ashtanga yoga, and raja yoga, all three of those are synonymous terms. Ashtanga yoga, as you well know, is the eight limb path. That is what is true yoga. So that is uh, yama niyama, the ethical perfection. Asana, the physical postures, pranayama, control of the prana through the vehicle of the breath, pratyahara, withdrawal the senses, dharana, concentration on one point, dhyana, meditation, and samadhi, union with divine, union with our own inner peace. So that is my understanding of yoga. That's what I practice every day. My entire life is an ongoing yoga retreat. And I live my life to the best of my ability in alignment and in congruence with that path. Um, so you, I've been, you, yeah. Go ahead. I was going to ask about because I know you wrote a book recently, and yes. and you're very passionate specifically about you know ahimsa and uh, a vegan diet. Um, yes. So I'd love to hear about why you're so passionate about that. Why it's so important to you. Um, yeah. Thank you for asking. Uh, This is my new book. I hope everyone can see it. It's called The Solution, 10 Compelling Reasons to Choose a Plant-Based Diet and Lifestyle, The Why and the How. Um, This is the solution to every major problem that we're facing on planet Earth today can be reversed through plant-based nutrition. because. The animal industry, meaning meat, dairy, eggs, is based on the consciousness of violence and domination. When we replace that consciousness with ahimsa, which means non-injury, and with loving-kindness, with collaboration and cooperation, we can reverse all of the major problems we're facing on planet Earth today. So I tackle all of these with a very, very compelling case that I roll out that's very well substantiated of how we can reverse the climate crisis, how we can reverse animal cruelty, how we can reverse pollution, how we can reverse deforestation, how we can reverse pandemic how we can reverse disease, how we can reverse all of the major problems that we're facing on planet Earth today. 
And all of them are based on ahimsa. The premise of this book is ahimsa. And for those who may be newer to this, or maybe those who are watching on YouTube later who aren't familiar with these terms, as Socrates says, the definition of terms is the beginning of wisdom. Ahimsa means to do our best to not cause injury in our thoughts, words, and actions. Now, in order to live, something has to die, so we have to cause the minimal amount of pain. Animals, we're all animals. Humans are classified as animals, and what we call animals are classified as animals. We're all animals, animals, human and non-human. We all essentially have the same nervous system. We all essentially have the ability to feel pain and joy, pleasure, hope, all of the emotions, and so right now, there are 72 billion animals, land animals, and over a trillion marine creatures that are tortured and killed for food every year. This is a global atrocity that has been normalized, and it's an abominable violation of ahimsa. And why do, you I'm think a it, voice. why do you think it's so challenging to, to hear that? Mm -hmm. Well, the reason it's so challenging, and that's a very good question, Avi. The reason it's so challenging is because when, from the time we're infants, we are conditioned to eat this so-called food from our parents, from our relatives, from our society, from our clergy, from our community, from the media, in all forms, movies, magazines, television, podcasts, everything is interwoven with this message. And so it has been normalized. And this is what Dr. Will Tuttle, who's the author of The World Peace Diet, terms as a cultural trance. So why it's so difficult for people to hear this is we're so conditioned and entrenched in this cultural trance. And my mission is to extend a loving invitation to wake up from this cultural trance, to take off the blinders, to connect the dots, and to make more kind and compassionate choices. Now, I know that people at Yogaville and hopefully most yoga teachers are vegetarians already. So what I would like to address in this podcast today is specifically the vital importance of shifting from vegetarian to vegan in the name of Ahimsa and in the name of all the yamas and yamas, which are the ethical perfection upon which the entire science of yoga is based. Right. And, and it's not, you know, I think traditional uh, Indian culture, right? There is dairy is a, is a big part of it. Right. And so um, maybe people would have a challenge with that saying, well, you know, Gurudev had dairy, this existed, right? What would your response be to that? I'm so glad you asked that question because Tradition does not justify immorality. I'd like to unpack this for a moment. Just because we did something in the past doesn't make it right. This is where we need to put on our critical thinking caps. And uh, critical thinking is an essential skill. I don't like the term critical thinking because some people associate the word critical with criticize. So I'd like to rename that as yogic discernment. When people say, well, Gurudev wasn't a vegan, I would like to respond by saying this. Master Shivananda, our grand guru, did many things that his predecessors did not do in the name of evolution of yoga. For example, to the best of my knowledge, Master Shivananda initiated Swami Rama, 
the first Western female Swami, to the best of my knowledge, ever initiated in this thousands of year lineage. Mm. So you could imagine the ridicule he must have been subjected to, to say, who are you to initiate a female Swami? Your guru didn't do that. So how can you do that? He did that because as Maya Angelou said, when we know better, we do better. Master Shivananda realized that it's the consciousness of the person, not the gender of the person that counts. He initiated the soul of Swami Radha, who went on to be a great, great, great yoga teacher. She opened many centers in Canada. She became a psychotherapist. She bridged uh, the gap between a psychotherapy and yoga. She was a great teacher who illuminated the glorious signs of yoga to countless souls. That was because Master Shivananda had a greater vision than those who were in the lineage before him. If he had not done that, we would not have Swami Krunananda. We would not have Swami Divyananda. We would not have Swami uh, Priyananda, Swami Jyotirananda, Amanda, etc. It was because of his enlightened vision to make that change in an ancient lineage that all this good has ensued. Okay, now let's extrapolate from that. Our own beloved Gurudev, Swami Satchidananda. Up until the time when they had Guru Purnima, which is honoring the Guru, when he was sent to Sri Lanka, where I went with him on a spiritual pilgrimage to India to the exact uh, uh, candy to Povenim, where he was the head of that ashram assigned by Master Shivananda. He said, well, why just have my guru, Master Shivananda? Why not have everybody's guru? And in this way, he opened to what had not been done for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. He opened to that and he became a trailblazer in the inner faith movement. Swami Satchinanda was one of the greatest openers of the path of uh, truth is many paths are one, which the entire Lotus Temple is a graphic demonstration of that teaching, that the one light illuminates all the paths, and he wanted to bring that forth by honoring everyone's guru, not just his own. Master Shivananda had a bald head. He shaved his head as a sannyasi. Swami Satchinananda had long hair. Master Shivananda called his organization the Divine Life Society. Swami Satchidananda called his Satchidananda Ashram. In other words, Swami Satchidananda did many things that Master Shivananda did not do in order to evolve the glorious science of yoga, to make it more inner faith, more all-inclusive. Similarly, just as Master Shivananda initiated the first female Western Swami, just as our Gurudev was a forerunner and trailblazer in the interfaith movement, I am evolving the science of yoga by shedding the light of awareness on the vital importance of shifting from vegetarian to vegan that I'd like to illuminate now, if that's okay with you. Because if we're going to live in congruence with the yamas and yamas, the very first and foremost being ahimsa, this shift would be a no-brainer, and I'm going to explain why. Many people live under the illusion, as I did at one time, Avi, when I became a vegetarian at the age of 11, I ate dairy because I thought meat kills the cow, but dairy is just they're out in the grass grazing and they have names and their owners sing to them and they give milk and it's a loving uh, symbiotic relationship. That was the illusion that I was under. And many people are still under that illusion. Until in 1987, a book came out by John Robbins, a Pulitzer Prize nominated book called Diet for a New America. And in that book, he brought to light the horrific cruelty that cows endure in order for us to have milk. 
Now, let me put this into context, Avi. 99% of dairy comes from factory farms. Factory farms are concentration camps for animals. Cows are routinely dehorned, confined, brutally treated, cannot even move around in their own stalls. They're raped on what the industry calls a rape rack so that they're constantly lactating so that they give milk. And then when they carry the baby for nine months, just as we do, Avi, their babies are ripped away from them within hours of being born. And if you hear recordings of the anguish of the mother and the calf from being ripped apart, that would be enough to make anybody go vegan. Then they milk these cows with metal machines twice a day that are very painful. And organic is worse because while they're milking them, they get cuts and bruises and tears and infections. And if it's an organic, they can't treat them with antibiotics so they can keep the organic name. So those cows go untreated and have to suffer without any antibiotics. And it also breeds anti, uh, antibiotic resistance because 80% of all antibiotics are used in the meat, dairy, and egg industries. So they're becoming watered down and not effective for humans when they really need it. But back to the point here. So if you believe in ahimsa, which means to do your best to not cause injury in your thoughts, words, and actions, and you understand now the horrific suffering that dairy cows have to go through, and then the natural lifespan for a cow is 25 years. Because they lactate these, rape these cows to make them lactate to give milk continuously, they burn them out. So after five years, they are spent. And then the reward for being tortured for five years is being sent off to slaughter for beef. So that whole industry is the opposite of ahimsa. So I'd like to explain this very clearly to our viewership. Every bite you take, every dollar you spend is a vote. It's a vote for cruelty or loving kindness, for devastation or sustainability, for disease or for health. So when we use our voting dollar to buy dairy, we are paying someone to torture and murder animals. Let that in for a moment. When we ingest these secretions, we are ingesting pus, blood, antibiotics, insecticides, fungicides, a host of other toxic materials, plus cholesterol. But most importantly, we're ingesting the biochemistry of terror and misery. It's a well-known fact that dairy is the number one allergen. Of the top three allergens, number one is dairy, number two is eggs, and number three is fish. So it creates havoc in our own health. So we're not having a HIMSA non-injury toward our own health. Everybody knows that dairy clogs up your respiratory system, contributes to asthma and all kinds of respiratory problems. It contributes to acne, to a host of uh, health issues. And even though it's purported to be this white pure substance that is good for your bones, actually the opposite is true. The societies that ingest the most amount of dairy have the highest instances of osteoporosis. If you want to get calcium, 100 grams of kale has more calcium than 100 grams of dairy milk. So there's absolutely no reason to be an 
agent of this horrific cruelty to ingest the biochemistry of terror and misery, to pay someone to torture animals, to rip babies away from their mother. It's an egregious um, attack on the divine feminine. And all the values of family that we say we support. So if someone is a yoga teacher and they're espousing ahimsa, which means to do your best not to cause injury in your thoughts, words, and actions. If you know this, and I love this quote by William Wilberforce, who said, you may choose to look the other way, but you can never say again, you did not know. If a yoga teacher knows this information, and then after they teach Raja Yoga, Amsa, then they go out and order a cheese pizza and a milkshake. Do you think that person is living in accordance, in congruence with the teachings of Ahimsa? What do you think, Avi? Well, I personally think that there's the answer would be no, but it's not always black and white. Like I would say there's always more room to live in accordance with ahimsa, right? Like non-injury, even you mentioned even our thoughts, right? Um, that if I am feeling judgmental towards another person with my thinking, then that even might be causing injury. So I don't want to make it like it's, you know, yes, yes or no. But yeah, if you're saying I am doing this thing, then you're clearly taking action afterwards, uh, which is not that. Um, that's contradictory for sure. And, um, you know, it's just, as you mentioned, you know, we've, this has been normalized, right? And what what I'm really interested in is, you know, how and the power of of psychology and kind of group psychology. And I've kind of realized that the strongest factor in our decision-making is what other people are doing around me. That is very hard if there's 50 people around you uh, and you're going to be doing something and they're all eating one thing and you're going to say, no, I'm going to eat something else. That's hard. I mean, we're social creatures, right? So to understand this is very important to me just to look at the situation and say like, okay, what are we asking people to do? You know, or well, what are we offering for them to go out mm -hmm. with their families and their friends and say, <clears throat> Oh no, like I want the non-dairy version or don't put cheese on that. Or oh, I'm not going to eat ice cream here or whatever it is. And then their families and their friends are going to say to them, you know, well, what do you mean? Why aren't you, why aren't you having that? well, do you know what's happening with, do you know the situation between the mother cow and the baby and what's going on with the factory farming and, 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 and all of that. And then they have to, and then that person's reaction to that, you know, that changes the dynamic with the relationships, you know, and relationships I think are the most important part for people. <laughs> so I say this because this isn't a small thing as I'm sure that, you know, you know, I mean, you've been doing, you've been, advocating this for a long time. And one of the things I'm even curious about is, you know, I think what, when people don't want to hear something, because it means that it, they have to change something about what their habits are, what their life is like, the tendency might be to attack you. Right. So I'm interested if you ever feel that energy from other people when you're you're very clear on this, you're very open about your opinions, and that's threatening to others. And do you feel that? And is it hard for you to to feel that and still stay grounded in in what your belief is? Mm -hmm. Thank you, Avi, for asking that question. It's a very profound question, and there's a lot of layers of answers to that. Number one, there are so many amazing non-dairy 
alternatives now. We have hemp milk, cashew milk, macadamia nut, Brazil milk, um, quinoa milk, um, you know, the list goes on and on. There are so many non-dairy cheeses, you know, these, uh, so many of these non-dairy cheeses, there's such a plethora of them now that are so readily available. And many avid cheese lovers say these taste better than dairy cheese and without the biochemistry of terror and misery and without the ramifications on the environment because uh, 51% of all greenhouse gas emissions comes from the animal agriculture industry. So it's also devastating the environment and contributing to climate change. So to answer your question, how do we deal with the resistance of people who are very entrenched in the cultural trance? Um, these are some things that I believe really help. Number one, a quote from Dr. Martin Luther King, who said, never, never be afraid to do what is right, especially if the well-being or a person, the well-being of a person or an animal is at stake. The punishments you receive from society are small compared to the wounds that we inflict on our soul when we look the other way. Mm. I take refuge in the teachings of Gandhi, who said, even if you are a minority of one, the truth is still the truth. Now, Yogaville has sat songs. Sat means truth and Sangha means the community of truth. So if we can't speak the truth, and what I'm speaking is indisputable, irrefutable facts that I wrote an entire 350-page book about, well-researched, well-documented, well-fact-checked, well-substantiated. If we really want to face the truth, that's what satsang means, company of truth. It doesn't mean to perpetuate the illusion of being abominable violators of AMSA and then espousing that that's what we teach and that's what we stand for. So that's what's called cognitive dissonance. When we say one thing, we're an animal lover and yet we use our voting dollar to pay someone to torture animals. Is that what you do when you love animals? That's <laughs> cognitive dissonance. It's when there's a disconnect. So what I'm offering here is an invitation, Avi, to reconnect because we're all compassionate by nature. So when we reconnect with our intrinsic, intuitive compassion, we will make choices that are kind to the animals, to the environment, and to our own health. Now, if you go into Shivananda Hall, you'll see Master Shivananda. Master Shivananda was a prolific author who wrote over 300 books. And when a poor illiterate came to him and said, I can't even read any of your 300 books, could you please summarize it for me? Master Shivananda said, yes, I can summarize all my books in six words. <laughs> and then he took those six words and he reduced them down to four words, which are posted in Shivananda Hall. Be good, do good, be kind, be compassionate. If we want to be kind, how do we use our voting dollar to torture animals? If we want to be compassionate, we make new choices. So the idea here is I love the quote that says, it's better to be one candle than to curse the darkness. So if you have an entire society of people who are entrenched in this cultural trance, our role as light workers is to illuminate the light of Ahimsa, to be living examples of it, to use our life force energy to awaken, spiritually awaken people to the interconnectedness of all life, to realize that what we do to others, we do to ourselves. This is in every major religion. <clears throat> what goes around comes around, do unto others as you would want others done unto you. Would you want your baby ripped away from you after you carried it for nine months? Would you want some painful metal machines take your milk and give it to someone else when it's not even good for them? Kangaroo milk is for kangaroos. Rat milk is for rats. 
cow's milk is for cows and human milk is for humans. As Pita says, if it's not your mom, it's not your milk. But you can have soy milk, rice milk, quinoa milk. So wouldn't a compassionate person who's dedicated to ahimsa make that simple choice if they knew it was available? So if other people don't get it, it's our job to help them in the most loving possible way that we can to get it. And believe me, I have been working on this. Um, for me, it shouldn't even be an issue. It's so long overdue. We shouldn't even be discussing this now. But I just have to patiently, continuously be the message, share the message with the best of my compassion, write books about the message, give podcasts about the message until we contribute to a global awakening here. That's how we move from sat from the Kali Yuga to the Sat Yuga, to the Yuga of Truth, by implementing the practice of Ahimsa in our thoughts, words, and actions. Now, as far as going out to dinner with people, you can speak uh, very practically. I'm sure in every menu now, you can always order a salad or a baked potato or things that are vegan. And... You can be a living example to people to say, hey, you know, I used to eat meat too. And then in terms of I statements, then I realized that every nutrient we need is graciously provided by our great creator without causing injury or harm or pain or suffering to the animals that we co-create this beautiful earth with. So I'm choosing to get my nutrients from plants rather than torturing animals. So, and I feel so good as a result of this. Now I'm in congruence with Ahimsa. Now I'm in, in congruence with my true nature, which is compassionate. Now I feel so much healthier because we know the number one cause of death in this country is heart disease. Heart disease is caused by clogging of the arteries to the heart. Every single time they do these autopsies, they always pull out saturated fat from animal protein. Never do they pull out broccoli, tofu, or carrots. So we're killing the animals and then it's killing us. Mm. What goes around comes around. Number two, cause of cancer. And Dr. Dean Ornish brilliantly proved definitively in his research that the number one cause of death, heart disease, can be reversed through yoga, meditation, low-fat vegan diet, and group support. So um, you can help these people. Most people, what I'm saying is how you're asking how to interact with these people as lovingly as possible. Uh, but most people come through this vegan door through four main doors. One is because they care about animals. One is they care about the environment. One is they care about their own health. And the fourth one is improved athletic performance as uh, demonstrated in the movie, The Game Changers. And so when you're talking to different people, <clears throat> you can find out by asking them questions, <clears throat> what really draws them the most. And then I would give the key points in those areas. And if you want to know the key points, they are all illuminated in this book with crystal clarity. And this book is endorsed by number one, New York Times bestselling authors and by global authorities on this topic. So this can be a definitive reference of how to talk to people. And in that book, I give a step-by-step -step plan of how to shift from vegetarian to vegan, from meat eater to vegetarian to vegan to vegan educator. Mm. You know, I want to ask you in terms of health. Yes. What effect uh, do you think having fun has on your health? Like, is it is it important? To be to be having fun in your life, and for you personally, uh, if it is important, you know how do you how do you assess what is fun for you? Mm -hmm. Well, <clears throat> it is important to have fun. Um, prominent doctors will tell you that the number one factor to balance your hormones is pleasure. Mm. 
So yes, it is important for our health to have fun. Gurudev often said, if you listen to Gurudev's affirmation, deep relaxation tape right in there, he said, whenever you're taking life too seriously, just remember it's all for fun. Direct quote verbatim from Gurudev. So, and he was a king of fun. He always brought jokes to things. So speaking of fun, I'd like to tell you a couple of jokes. So uh, there was this one man who went to his cardiologist and his cardiologist said he had heart disease and his cardiologist said, you have two options here. We can do a triple bypass surgery where we cut open your leg. We take out a vein from there. We cut open your chest. We insert that vein into the coronary arteries of your heart. Then you'll be confined to bed rest for at least a month or two. And this will cost $100,000. Option A or option B, you can go on a low-fat vegan diet. And the patient said, um, gee, doc, vegan diet, that sounds radical. (laughs) And then this other man went to a restaurant and he said to the waiter, I'd like a double bacon cheeseburger with a milkshake. And the waiter said to him, would you like a side of chemo with that? So I do think fun is important. I think it's important to inject humor and fun in all that we're doing. Um, you know, Ma- Master Shivananda said, transform everything into the yoga and with the magic one of right attitude. And I think that when we are living life with the right attitude, that everything becomes fun. We don't have to differentiate uh, so much that... Uh, to me, meaning is more important than fun, and fun is meaning to me. I mean, it is fun, it's gratifying, it's satisfying to know that I'm fulfilling my swadharma. So uh, some people, their swadharma is more to be like jokers and play, and that's their swadharma. Other people, such as myself, we're here on angel missions specifically to shift the the state of consciousness from cruelty to loving kindness, from indifference to spiritual activism. And spiritual activism means when we take these principles that we've been so blessed to be steeped in, Um, And we apply them to not only our inner peace, but to bringing greater outer peace to this world. As Tolstoy said, as long as there are slaughterhouses, there will be battlegrounds. And this is what we're seeing, Avi. On the world stage, we're seeing these worlds, you know, wars enacted in Ukraine and Russia, and I'm not singling them out all over the world. Because this consciousness of violence and domination needs to be replaced with ahimsa. And how we can do that, Avi, is one bite at a time. And you're saying, well, there's other ways of expressing ahimsa. Well, I don't have anything against those other ways. Go ahead. But that doesn't preclude this. In other words, three times a day and snacks in between, you can be practicing ahimsa by choosing a vegan diet. So that's a good place to start is on your own plate. Sometimes people think, oh, I have to be like Mother Teresa. Go to India and serve of the lepers in Calcutta. Just start with your own plate. Mm. Uh, Theodore Roosevelt said, do the best you can with what you have, where you are, when you're there. So meaning when we're right here, what can we do right now? That's something someone could do instantly. They can do this right away. And then they're contributing to kindness toward the animals, toward the environment, toward their own health, and toward uplifting human consciousness, evolving consciousness, not perpetuating cruelty Hmm. in the name of tradition. Have you seen um, one or other approach to be more effective? One approach is uh, kind of, that's it. I'm changing my diet completely. You know, I'm 100% vegan maybe even from someone who's going from from eating meat um, or someone who gradually starts to cut things out more in their life and have less and less and less until they get there. Um, 
I mean, my guess is that your approach would be like, well, you know, it's inappropriate. Like, you know, so one more meal with dairy is, is not, is not the right thing to do. Um, but on, on the level of just what, what is effective, right. Cause you don't want to rebound back and basically you've, you've set, uh, you've set an intention, uh, or a new way that's, that's too challenging for yourself and you can't sustain it maybe. And then you rebound, right. Cause I have heard a lot of people have been vegan and all of a sudden now they're not vegan and they're eating meat again. Right. Mm. Well, Gurudev said, when you realize you're holding a cobra snake, drop it. You don't have to think about it. You don't have to do it in stages, you know. Well, so for those who have the ears to hear, the receptor sites to get this transmission that I'm giving today, when you realize you're holding a cobra snake, drop it. When you realize that your actions are causing horrific cruelty and you don't want to partake in that, stop immediately. And is Those it possible that that would feel like really good, like to go home and just yeah. clean out your fridge and never yes. buy that stuff again is like, even though that's really challenging, right? And it might feel like overwhelming to make such a big change. That's also an opportunity to have maybe one of the most important days of your life too, right? Yes. yes. When we know better, we do better. And I have a step-by-step plan in here of how to do it. Okay. Then the other thing is a quote by William Penn, who said, to delay justice is injustice. Mm -hmm. For those people who say, you know, I want to taper off, da-da-da-da-da-da-da, well, that means, okay, I'm not, I'm going to cause less cruelty, less and less and less and less cruelty. And there, it takes a lot of cognitive dissonance to be able to do that when we are by nature compassionate. So we have to override our true nature in order to do that once we hear it and realize it. Okay. So for those who do need to taper off, I suggest doing vegan Mondays or doing one meal a day vegan, or taking one of your favorite recipes and veganizing it. Um, I have all these lists of strategies of how people can go vegan and get group support in doing it. Uh, host a movie, like at Yogaville, host a movie like Forks Over Knives or Game Changers or Earthlings or Cowspiracy, etc. And have everybody watch that. Give them some vegan popcorn to uh, watch it with and then discuss the movie afterwards and ask people what about that touch to? What is one step you would like to commit yourself to moving in that direction? So every step in the right direction is beneficial. And I encourage and cheerlead and applaud every step in the right direction. Earthlings is next level. I've seen most of those, but Earthlings to me, was by far the most powerful one. Um, it's just the footage of the slaughterhouses essentially. And it's, yeah, well, uh, Paul McCartney said if slaughterhouses had glass walls, everyone would be a vegetarian. I will take that further to say if anyone went to a factory farm, everyone would be vegan. So um, the idea here is host something like that. I never watched uh, Earthlings because I knew the graphic imagery would be too injurious yeah, uh, to my very delicate vegan ahimsa uh, psyche. So I never did watch that movie, but I've heard from my vegan friends who have that it's very, very powerful and very graphic. Some people need that level of it in their face to get it. I got it at 11 just by realizing that eating hamburger was ground up animals and I was was repulsed by that idea and didn't want to have any part of it. So we all are at different stages of awakening and evolution. But the point of this story is I want to encourage every step in the right direction. And there's absolutely no reason that holds water not to go vegan because every single nutrient that we need is provided by the plant kingdom. And I have a whole chapter in my book of all the common um, all of the common alibis and the deeper truth of how to counteract those. So like people will say, oh, well, Guru Dev wasn't vegan. I gave the example of how 
tradition should not be the enemy of evolution. And we all have to be active participants in evolving the glorious signs of yoga. And when we know better, we do better. Just as Master Shivananda did better, Gurudev did better, we need to follow in their footsteps and do better for the next generation and for all the generations to follow. Or if people say, what are the common excuses people give themselves? Oh, they'll say, Oh, it's Guru Purnima. It's a special day. So we're going to have raita. We're going to have these dishes because it's a special day. If something's a special day and a holy day, Avi, should we live in accordance with Ahimsa or violate it? What would make it more special? Yeah. So we have to take a look at with critical thinking, with discerning yogic discernment, look at all these excuses we and go into yana yoga, which is the path of self-inquiry, one of the six branches of integral yoga. Yana yoga is self-inquiry, asking yourself the question, what excuse am I giving myself? Write it down on the other side of the sheet, write the opposite positive truth, which is pratipaksha bhavana, meaning replacing the negative with the positive. So if we start to actually utilize the tools that Gurudev gave us, like the yoga sutras, like pratipaksha bhavana, we'll see that uh, there really is no other choice. There's no reason that holds water. If anyone has any reason that holds water not to go vegan, email me, please <laughs> email me, and I will share a deeper truth on that matter, because you wouldn't believe the things I've heard. I had one advanced practitioner, a pranayama saying, oh no, I need dairy because it cools down from heating up this pranayama. I said, why are you doing the pranayama? Because that's his spiritual practice to connect with the divine. What is the divine? God. Gurudev said, God is peace. Do you think you can be at peace when you're torturing other animals? As Albert Schweitzer said, until we extend our circle of compassion to include all living things, man himself will not experience peace. Mm. If God is love, as it says in the Bible, would any loving, compassionate God want us to torture and kill other sentient beings when it's totally unnecessary? So, so basically, I just want to maybe, <clears throat> I know our time is going to close, so maybe we could just conclude with understanding, Avi, on a deeper level that the boomerang effect, <clears throat> what goes around comes around. As we sow, so shall we reap, known as karma, cause and effect, action and reaction. We kill these animals, we die of heart attacks. We can find these animals, we have lockdown. We force feed these animals, we suffer from obesity. We terrorize these animals and we suffer with anxiety and depression. One out of four Americans is on antidepressant medication or some psychiatric drug, such as sedatives, sleeping pills, things of that nature. Why? Do you think there's any correlation between causing misery, ingesting misery, and being miserable? We need to connect the dots here, my friends. We need to connect the dots here. Take off the blinders. It's a long time overdue to turn a deaf ear to this, a blind eye. We need to open our ears, open our vision, open our hearts to himsa. We rape these animals. Women are raped worldwide. We rip their babies away from them. Our families are torn apart. We devastate our environment by putting all these greenhouse gas emissions into the atmosphere, 51% of which come from animal agriculture. We devastate the environment by cutting down the trees, which is 80% of all deforestation is attributable to the meat, dairy, and egg industries. 200 species of animals go extinct every single day due to this deforestation, which is specifically for cutting down to graze cows for meat and to grow feed crop 
to animals used for food. So we cut down these trees, which is the, the lungs of our planet. And then look, our lungs are being attacked with respiratory diseases such as COVID-19. We force these cows, chickens in like these sheds, thousands of chickens in these warehouses to stand in their own excrement and the ammonia burns our lungs and our lungs are being burned by this uh, pandemic disease. So the whole idea here is that what goes around comes around. And once we realize that we want to make choices that are kind to the animals, to the environment, to our own health, we want to investigate through the path of yana yoga, self-inquiry, whatever excuses we're giving ourselves that alibis, rationalizations to justify this global atrocity. We need to make new choices that are based on ahimsa, satya, asteya. I mean, even if I just go for the first three, ahimsa, if you want to honor ahimsa, you cannot torture cows. If you want to practice satya, the truth, you can't have a deaf ear and blind eye to these irrefutable facts. If you want to be true, satya means being also true to your own true nature, which is compassionate. You can't override your compassionate nature. Asteya. If you don't want to engage in stealing, you don't want to steal the sovereignty from 72 billion animals and over a trillion marine animals. You don't want to steal their life, steal their comfort, steal their babies, steal their milk. That's an abominable violation of ahimsa. So we need to even go through, I could go through every single one of the yamas in the yamas and show you that if you choose a vegan diet, you'll be honoring the yamas and the yamas, living in congruence with them rather than violating them. So it's a choice and I invite everybody to choose wisely and mm. compassionately. If anybody wants any support in this transition, please let me know. Thank you so much, Meenakshi. Thanks for being the person that you are, for taking the time to share today. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Well, Avi, I also want to appreciate you very, very much for providing this platform. I really appreciate your techno wizardry more than you can imagine. I appreciate that you can put this all together with Zoom and get it on YouTube so countless other souls will be able to see it for years to come. I want to acknowledge you for your depth, for your compassion, and uh, your open-mindedness, and um, hosting this very meaningful, important conversation. And maybe we could just close with a prayer. I'd like to just close with a prayer that this message will touch the hearts and minds of everyone listening, everyone listening to the recording later, all of the ripple effect out into the entire universe so that together, we can shift cruelty to loving kindness and ahimsa. As Emerson said, to know that even one soul has breathed more easily because you have lived is to have succeeded. So may we all succeed by going vegan. May we live Master Shivananda's teachings. Be good, do good, be kind, be compassionate. May we express that in our dietary choices and the ramifications thereof. Om Shanti and Namaste. Om Shanti, Namaste. Thank you. Thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed this content and think others might as well, please feel free to share and subscribe.